The Book of Acts is the story of the unstoppable grace of God through Jesus Christ to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Beginning from the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the book of Acts proceeds to build a beautiful bridge between the four Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. In a very real sense, the book of Acts is an unfinished book. God continues to write the story through his people today. Why would a New York attorney sue the state of New York for age discrimination? Well, I heard a story on a podcast about this. Roy Lester was an attorney in New York and also a volunteer uh, uh, lifeguard. And he was suing the state of New York for making him wear a Speedo uh, during the trials. Now, he had been a lifeguard for many, many years. Uh, for over 40 years, he had been a lifeguard for the state of New York, and now he was suing them for age discrimination. And why would an attorney, someone who makes lots of money, sue uh, the state of New York for age discrimination? I mean, why are you still lifeguarding at 66 years old, is what the interviewer asked him. Why, why do you even care? Why are you still lifeguarding at age 66? And he barely understands the question, because even when he was in law school in California, he would come back to New York every summer to lifeguard at Jones Beach near New York City. And here's what he said when they asked him, why at age 66 are you still a lifeguard? When you're an attorney, you're successful, you have all these things. He says, the exhilaration of a good rescue is unlike anything you've ever had. I sit here shuffling papers. I wouldn't call it exciting. I wouldn't call it rewarding. But when you're up there on the stand and you see someone who needs rescuing, all of a sudden there is nothing else in the world. You're only focused on getting from your stand to that victim in the water. He thinks he's rescued over a thousand people from the swirling currents of death in the ocean. A thousand rescues. I was thinking about that. that. That's way more rescues than David Hasselhoff had in Baywatch. Like 10 years, two rescues every year, every episode. That's still like more than twice as many rescues. Did you catch what he said? He said, the exhilaration of a good rescue is unlike anything you've ever had. The exhilaration of a good rescue is unlike anything you've ever had. Have you ever experienced anything like that in your own life? See, I think that we are wired up to make a difference. I think we were designed to save people. Something inside of us springs up when we see someone who's drowning or someone who's gonna trapped in a burning building. Why does Jay go through fire training to go save people. Where does that come from? I guess you could say evolution, maybe thought we needed to protect our tribe, but honestly, I don't really buy that because survival of the fittest says I need to do whatever it takes to protect myself. So why would I dive into a swirling current of death to save someone who's drowning? Why would Jay go into a house that is burning to save someone, especially a stranger? I think God put that inside of us. The Bible says that we are created in the image of God. God's heart 
is to seek and save the lost. Because we reflect who God is, we also have this innate desire to save and help people. See, we have a mission. And as followers of Jesus, our mission is to go into the world to rescue, to redeem the captives who are hurt, to heal the hurting, to introduce hopeless people to the hope that's only found through Jesus Christ. Amen? As a church, why do we exist? Jeremy said it. To help people follow Jesus by helping people learn how to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. To help people serve others. To help people make disciples, which is other followers of Jesus. As a church, we decided we're not going to have members. No members at Mosaic. Instead of joining a church, we hope you'll see yourself as you're joining a movement. And instead of joining a church and being a member like you might join Lifetime Fitness, instead we hope you'll see yourself not as a member, but as a partner. Someone who's called by God, set apart by God to partner with other believers to help more and more people learn what it means to love God, learn what it means to serve others, learn what it means to introduce people to Jesus. Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Uh, the scriptures will also be here behind me on the screen. We've been journeying our way through the book of Acts, and that's what we're going to do the rest of this summer. And today, uh, kind of a big picture, we're covering Acts 13 and 14. Uh, but today, I'm going to really focus on just the first three verses in Acts 13. So uh, on your own time, in your, in your summer uh, uh, small group, summer house group, you can dive into the rest of Acts 13 and 14, but we're really, really going to cover just the first three verses of chapter 13. Well, so far as we've journeyed through the book of Acts, we've seen the gospel exploding out of Jerusalem. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, then he rose again and appeared to more than 500 people. And out of that, this movement of Jesus' followers was born, and, and it exploded out of Jerusalem. And now it's crossed socioeconomic lines and ethnic lines, and we have ourselves a global community that's bursting out of Jerusalem. And it's starting to spread across the Roman Empire. If this helps you have a mental picture, uh, how many of you have ever seen like one of those movies where there's some virus that's going to end the world, or you know, maybe it's a zombie crisis or something? Yeah, you know, and there's always that scene where there's all these smart scientists and, and leaders and generals, and there's like a map, and there's like, here's where the epidemic started, and here's where it is at 10 weeks and 24 weeks, and, you know, and then it's like the end of the world in three months, and, it's, and then the one guy's like, I got a solution. We can stop the spread of this virus. Well, that's kind of what's happened in the book of Acts, is it started in Jerusalem, and then it spread to Samaria, and then to Cornelius' house as the first Gentile convert, and it's whole hustled, and now it's spreading beyond Palestine into the region of North Africa and Europe and Asia Minor, and that's what's going on here. And, and, and this gospel is spreading out. And, and that's the whole purpose of the book of Acts. We talk about this in Acts 1.8. When Jesus, right before he goes back up into heaven and he sends, he gives his final words. And he says this in Acts 1.8. But you will receive power. You will receive power. That's a promise to each and every one of us. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's what's happening now is the gospel message of Jesus is spreading out. And it was a success because, honestly, we're here in Maple Grove Middle School because the gospel has spread. I don't know if you know much about maps, but we're a long ways away from Jerusalem, right? But the gospel has spread all the way to us here today. Christianity is not an American religion. It is a Middle Eastern religion that has spread throughout the whole world to us here today. And now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the early church at the city of Antioch, which was one of the major outposts after Jerusalem that became a center for the gospel. 
Because I think what we see at the church of Antioch is what my heart and my desire is for a mosaic, and I believe what God wants for our church today. Uh, as we dive into Acts 13, would you just join me with a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here today, that you are with us. God, that you are a good father. And regardless of, of our relationship with our own dads, our desire to be a dad or, or whatever that might be, God, you are a perfect father. I thank you that you're here. And so, Father, I ask that you would be with me as I communicate your truth from Acts. God, I thank you for Theophilus who graciously gave so that Dr. Luke could investigate and write these down, these truths and words for us today. Lord, I pray that you'd be in and around and work through my words so that everyone here today would receive from you what they need to receive. In your name we pray, amen. Well, as I said, Dr. Luke is our author, and he's been carefully investigating. And in his first volume, he, he wrote all about what Jesus did and, and investigated all the miracles in his Gospel of Luke. And now Acts is part two of that volume. And, and here's what he's going to write now as he continues on this story in Acts 13, verse 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Well, three things I want to look at at this early church of Antioch that I believe God wants for our church today. Number one, if you're taking notes and you got those handy little desks uh, on your seats, you can write this down then. The church was a multicultural mosaic. Amen. Amen. Number one, the church was a multicultural mosaic. Our author, Dr. Luke, takes special care to point out that the leadership of the Antioch church was multicultural. Of the five leaders that he mentions, one is from the Middle East, one is from Asia, one from the Mediterranean, and two from Africa. Like, what a beautiful mosaic. What a, a beautiful picture of diversity. On top of that, the relational dynamic of the church sure is something. Uh, let's just get into that just a little bit. First of all, the fact that Saul, who later gets known as by his Greek name Paul, and Barnabas, the fact that they're going to partner together for ministry is simply astounding. It's a testimony to the mercy of Jesus Christ and how his gospel message works in our lives. See, we first met Barnabas, if you remember this, back in chapter 4, in verse 36. It says, Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, it's safe to say that Joseph who's now known as Barnabas, he's in. I mean, he's fully in. When the apostles change your name, that means you're in, right? It's like, he's like, hey guys, I'm Joseph. I'm here, I'm in. And the apostles are like, no, no, no. You're now known as Barnabas. Well, but my, my mama, she named me Joseph. And they're like, no, we love your mama, but you're now Barnabas because you're such an encouraging person. That's who Barnabas was. It says he was a son of encouragement. He was one of those people who just speaks life into people. Have you ever been around something like that? They're so encouraging to be around. People who just speak life into you. I have some good friends uh, who launched a church the same weekend as Mosaic down in Washington, Iowa, southeast Iowa. Uh, Tony and Sam and, and Ryan. And man, they're just so encouraging to me. Every time we get together, they just speak life over me, over our team, and we just are ready to go and, and conquer that next hill. That's who Barnabas was. He's one of those people who just, he just spoke life. He was an, an encourager. And not only had his spirit and temperament been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, but his hold on his wealth 
and what had been given to him by God was completely loosened by the power of the gospel. Dr. Luke tells us that Barney was so believed in the mission of the church that he sold his cabin up north, and then he laid that money at the feet of the apostles and said, hey, do with this what you want to spread this message of the good news of Jesus. Man, he, so now he's a part of this inner circle of the church at Jerusalem. He's part of its leadership. He's an example of what godliness looks like, a spirit of generosity, a spirit of encouragement, of, of life-giving. So there's Barnabas in Jerusalem, and he's all in. He's building the church. Well, then we also have Saul, who's hanging out in Jerusalem at this time. But his story's a little different. We pick up his story in Acts 8, right after the murder of Stephen. And here's what we read in Acts 8.1. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, how different are, are Barney and Saul? Like, same city. And yet Barnabas selling all that he has and giving his life and his abilities to build up the church. And you have Saul with all his wealth and power and privilege using his energy to destroy the church. Now, surely Barnabas knows some of these people that Saul is, is dragging out men and women and children and taking them off to prison. Surely some of his friends have lost their lives because of what Saul is doing. But now in chapter 13, we see that Saul and Barnabas are going to be sent out together and partnered together to spread the message of Jesus. How does that happen? That only happens by the transforming power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. Because the gospel reconciles people that you think would never be reconciled. If you write that down, the gospel reconciles people you think would never be reconciled. The gospel has so transformed Barnabas and Saul that these two partnered together for the building up of the church in some of the most difficult scenarios. They're willing to die together for the gospel. If you read the rest of chapter 13 and 14, they go through shipwrecks. They go through uh, these areas where bandits could attack them. They, they climb mountains. They go through desert areas to spread the good news of Jesus. And they're doing that together because the gospel reconciles people. That's what we see here in Antioch. The two primary teachers and leaders were one time enemies and the gospel has brought them together. Now, there's three more guys mentioned in, in this leadership group. First is Mannion. We're just going to call him Manny because that's easier to say. And Dr. Luke tells us that Manny was a childhood friend of Herod the Tetrarch. Now, we know that the Herod's family, talked with them a little bit, they're not good people. Like, if you're in the Herodian family and you're on Ancestry.com, like, you're not going to be on there very long because your mafia family is probably going to whack you and, like, all your relatives. See, Herod the Great, he, he's kind of the patriarch. If you remember the Christmas story, Herod the Great is the one who, after the wise men came and didn't report on finding Jesus, he had, half of, he had all the babies two years old and under in Bethlehem killed because he was nervous about losing his throne. On top of that, Herod the Great had his brother-in-law and his mother-in-law executed. Now, some of you are like, oh, I like this guy now. No, that's not a good thing. And then he had his second wife executed. This is a dysfunctional family. And he splits up his kingdom among his kids. And Herod the Tetrarch is not Herod the Great. It's one of Herod's sons, Herod Antipas. He's also a train wreck. And Manny apparently grew up as childhood buddies with Herod Antipas. And here's what we know about Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch. He married his stepbrother's ex-wife. 
Talk about awkward at family reunions, right? It's like, hey, Philip, thanks for letting me marry your wife. You know, like, super awkward. Well, John the Baptist in the Gospel of Luke spoke out about this. Like, dude, you cannot steal your stepbrother's wife. This is not good. And it got to the point where Herodias, the wife, was so, was so tired of this. She's like, I got to figure out a way to get rid of John the Baptist. So what does she do? She sends in her teenage daughter to do a little slutty dance for her new stepfather. And he's so turned on by this that he says, whatever you want up to half my kingdom, say it and I'll give it to you. So she goes back to her mom, what should I do? And she's like, tell him I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. And so that's what he does. He cuts off John the Baptist's head, gives it to the teenage daughter who gives it to her mom. And apparently Manny is best friends with this guy. Then on the night that Jesus is arrested, right before he's crucified, Pilate is so glad to get, find out that Jesus is actually from Bethlehem that he sends Jesus to Herod's Antipas's court to find out, you know, to wash his hands of the situation. Now Herod Antipas is so excited because he heard that Jesus was kind of like a magician. And who knows, Manny might have been right there next to him. He's like, oh, David Blaine is coming. Let's see him do some miracles and some tricks. But Jesus refuses to perform. And so then the soldiers mod him. They beat him. They beat him. They send him back to Pilate. And ultimately, Jesus is crucified. That's Herod Antipas. Now, this church in Antioch, our boy Manny is a dear friend with Herod Antipas. It's like, what in the world? But yet he's in the inner circle of leadership of this church. Once again, this shows the gospel's power to overcome our past. I think so often the lie that we tell ourselves is that we're too messed up for God's grace. That we, we've done things in our past that is just, just too much. And I would lovingly tell you that you are not that good at sinning. You are not so good at sinning that God's grace can't cover it. You look at some people in the Bible, murderers, thieves, adulterers, just the worst things. And yet the gospel comes in and changes their lives and God's grace transforms them. It's not about how awful you are. It's about how awesome Christ is. Man, it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter what we've been through, that his power, his grace can transform our lives. Lastly, there's diversity in Antioch Church that I pray God would bring to our church. Let me just walk through some of the men in this room. Again, we have Barnabas. He's from Cyprus. It's an island in the Mediterranean. Simeon is called Niger, which is Latin for black. Every commentary, every church historian says we know about Simeon is that his skin is black. So we have a man from Cyprus who's a Hellenistic Jew. We have a black man. And Lucius is from North Africa. Manny is a Palestinian Greek who was childhood friends with the Herodian Mafia family. And then you finally have Saul of Tarsus who grew up in Jerusalem, but not the same kind of Jew that Barnabas was. He's like an Orthodox Jew. Like, picture like the long tassels in New York City. Like, if you remember that TV show, uh, uh, what's it called, uh, the, the Real World, where it's like, we're going to take five people who don't belong together and put them in a room. Like, that's what's going on here in the early church. Like, the Holy Spirit's bringing these people together. They have nothing in common. Their skin color, their background, their ethnicity, how they grew up, they have nothing in common because the gospel brings people together who otherwise have nothing else in common. That is the power of Jesus. That it doesn't matter if we have anything in common with anyone else in this room. What we have in common is that Jesus came. He died on the cross for us. He rose again, and then he filled us with his Holy Spirit so that now we can be witnesses to the power and the presence of Jesus. It doesn't matter if we all like Marvel movies or if we don't, or basketball or football or whatever that might be. What brings us together is the gospel. 
this message that we can all receive grace no matter what we've done, no matter our background. The gospel brings people together who otherwise have nothing else in common. Number two, the second thing we see about the church is the church was serious about seeking the Lord. They were serious about seeking the Lord. So the Antioch church is a beautiful mosaic of diversity. You can also see that they're serious about seeking the Lord and hearing from them. They're gathered together. They're fasting. They're praying. They're listening to God. They're worshiping. They're listening for the Holy Spirit and then being willing to be led. My desire is at his church that we are serious about seeking after the Lord. That as a community, we'll fast, we'll pray, we'll worship. And when we worship, when we pray, we listen, and then we obey. Because we never want to be educated beyond our level of obedience, amen? We never just want to know it all and become Christians who just get bloated and fat because of all our information and never do anything. Instead, we want to obey. When the Holy Spirit says go, that we go. When the Holy Spirit says love, we love. When the Holy Spirit says serve, we serve. When the Holy Spirit says give, we give. Now let's just talk briefly about how we listen to the Lord and how the Lord speaks. Now I believe that the Lord speaks in impressions, in dreams, in a thousand ways. But none of those will ever contradict or go against or disprove the revealed word of God in Scripture. The best way to know God and, and to listen to his spirit is to get into his word. Get to know the character of God by reading scripture, studying it. Then as the Holy Spirit leads you with nudges, with impressions, dreams, visions, prophecies, however that might be, you can compare that to the word of God because you have this foundation. Grow in your knowledge and love of God and his character and then you will more easily be able to understand where he's leading you, and what he wants you to do. So number one, they're this beautiful mosaic of diversity. Number two, they're serious about seeking the Lord. And number three, they're ascending church. They were ascending church. We see here that the leadership is very open-handed. What we know uh, by other parts of Scripture is that Barnabas and Saul have spent the last two years in Antioch. They've planted this church They're pouring into it. They're training people. They're evangelizing. They're building up the church. They're setting up and tearing down every week in elementary school gyms. That's what they've been doing for the last two years. And there's no doubt that God has been working and using Barney and Saul. But now at this prayer meeting, as the church is seeking God's will, the Holy Spirit shows up and says, hey, you're actually now going to send these two guys out, these two vessels who have been used so much in your community. I'm going to send them out and send them somewhere else. I can imagine this hurt. It's hard to send people out who've been investing and and growing in your community. But they knew that the gospel needed to continue to spread. So we're gonna gonna see that now, this is the rest of Paul's missionary journey. And this week, I encourage you to read the rest of chapter 13, chapter 14, as the gospel goes into these other areas and, and we see the Holy Spirit use Saul and Barnabas for miraculous signs and wonders to preach the word of God, that lives are transformed and changed, that people find freedom for the very first time, that that literally the eyes are opened of the blind, that that God is building his church and his family, but only because that church in Antioch was willing to be open-handed. I think it's interesting that really you see the first church 
that was ascending church and sending out missionaries and, and church planters was not the Jerusalem church, but this Antioch church. And you see that this, this picture of diversity and generosity, that they are sending out people and, and the church is going to grow through them. And I believe as well that God wants to raise up ministries, small groups, missionaries in our church. I pray that we're going to send people out overseas. I pray that we'll send out new ministries. I love that in, in January we sent out Justin Rihanna to start Freedom Culture, a, a Friday night ministry of, of prayer and teaching. I love that God is birthing new ministries here. Some of you are in a small group and in the summer and you're coming together in growth and, and in community and friendship. But at some point, maybe God's going to send you out. This summer, we had to send out some of our close friends to start a new house group on Tuesday night. And as hard as it is, we need to be a church that's open-handed, saying, God, wherever you want to lead us, wherever you want to send us, we'll go. And if you're sending someone, man, we're going to send them out. We're not going to be closed-fisted. We're, we're going to be open-handed uh, because we believe that's truly a better way to live. Imagine if we were this kind of community where it doesn't matter the color of your skin, doesn't matter where you grew up or your background or what country you were born in. It doesn't matter if your native language is Portuguese or Spanish or English or whatever because the gospel brings together people that otherwise have nothing else in common. Imagine if we were the kind of church that was serious about seeking after God that we play hard and that we pray hard. And when we come together as summer small groups, that we are intentional about seeking after God and saying, God, where, where are you leading us? Where are you leading me? There's some of you in this room who are getting ready to move to Arizona, to Motley, Minnesota, wherever it might be. Man, we want to pray for you guys as you are sent out, that you take the gospel with you. as hard as it is to see people leave. And man, no one told me that was the hardest part about being a pastor. That people would be in your community for a few years and then job changes or whatever leads them to other places. But we're ascending church. And we're here to bless people, to train people, as long as you are here. That when you go out, when you go to another city or another state or wherever it might be, or off to college, that you take the power of the gospel with you, that you take the message of Jesus and the good news of who he is. I believe that's where God is leading us as we start this new chapter and where he wants to take us next. Would you join me in a word of prayer? God, I thank you that you are here. God, I thank you for the early church in Antioch. And God, that they were such a beautiful mosaic. And God, what an amazing picture of diversity and different backgrounds and people who naturally should be enemies, but God, that your gospel brings them together and your Holy Spirit forms them and shapes them into a community. God, we want to be serious about seeking after you. God, let us be led by your Holy Spirit. 
personally and as a church. God, as we start this next chapter in a new location with a new youth pastor, uh, just in this next season, God, we pray that we want to seek after your face. We want to go where you're leading us. And God, we pray that we would be ascending church, that those who are with us for as long as they are, God, that we'd pour into them, that we'd invest in them, we would equip them, and then send them out as they go because of job changes or school changes, wherever that might be. Help us to live open-handed, God, in all that we do, that we'd just be overflowing with our love, with our generosity, with our friendship. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.